This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This A's Cast download is brought to you by Link Soul. Go to LinkSoul.com and by Nest Bedding. Love where you sleep. Go to NestBedding.com. From baseball's top personalities. The Hall of Famer, one of the great TV broadcasters, Bob Costas is here on A's Cast Live. To the A's legendary players. Five-time Major League Baseball home run champ, Mark McGuire is with us here. You never know what stories you're going to hear. We used to come out here to lunch and run with our shirts off. <laughs> you would say This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Time now for another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Kyle Peterson, former big league pitcher, former Stanford Cardinal, breaking down the playoffs. Craig Mish coming to you from South Florida. And we're talking about the Marlins and other things in baseball. Sarah Lang's our all-time favorite, MLB.com. And Hembo, Paul Hembikides from ESPN. Kyle Peterson, former Stanford Cardinal, coming your way. Kyle, are you there? I got you. How are we? Welcome back to ACAST Live and back to the Bay Area. Thank you. Good to talk to you. How are we? Uh, always, always great to have you on. And knowing that you're going to be calling this series, we got from Roxy Bernstein, you're calling the series. Like, we got to have them on. Blue Jays and the Twins. Going to be really interesting from a standpoint of the Twins. It's Kyle, it's hard to believe. It's like, where were you in 2004 the last time the Twins won a playoff game? Uh, I just got released. That's where I was. <laughs> that's... That was that was that was about the end of my career. Um, yeah, it is crazy because I mean historically the Twins have had a pretty good run, but yeah, it's it's been a while since they've won a series. But playing at home, um, I've actually not been to Target Field, so I'm looking forward to it. Oh, you're gonna love it. But it's it beautiful. Be a really cool setting. Yeah, that's what I hear. Yeah, it's an absolute beautiful ballpark. You know, we just played second to the last series. The A's played the Twins. So we had a Twins broadcaster on. We had a Twins writer from The Athletic. And we were expecting to see Carlos Correa against the A's in one of their final home series. He never played, still hasn't played. Obviously, Byron Buxton, who knows Doubt you're going to see him. Royce Lewis has been hitting a ton of grand slams when he plays, but he hasn't played in a long time. How worried are you for the Twins? We love their pitching, but your big guns are not going to be in that lineup. Well, I guess we don't know, right? Um, I think that's the biggest thing. You know they're going to pitch, or at least over the course of the season they've really pitched. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's whether those guys play and if they do play ultimately what they are when they if they play um and i think that i mean that probably determines the whole thing but if you get one or two of those back it changes that twins lineup that um can make a huge difference so you know i mean if you go through a season you never know what injuries you're going to hit but ultimately um 
those are some pretty pretty important guys that line up and, and if they're in there it changes the whole thing well i will say this for the twins you got to give them a lot of credit for that whole next man up mentality as the twins are 42 and 29 since the all-star break only the orioles and the rays uh, have been putting up more runs per game during that span. So just talk about that mentality as a player in that clubhouse that even though these big names are out, well, they've been out. They've, they, it's not like the players know. These guys have been out. They've kept winning. Honestly, I think it's exciting. I mean, if, if you're one of the guys that, you know, isn't named Correa or Lewis or whoever else, like you, you're not going to play every day unless something happens. And in that case, when it does, you get an opportunity to get in there, to get in the game and, and do something. So I think from an organization standpoint, um, I don't know. It's, I mean, it's kind of exciting to have guys that maybe you don't think are going to be the ones that drive you there that do end up getting you there. And if you get your dudes back, then great. But if you don't, you still feel pretty good. So I think from a twin standpoint, Ideally, you got everybody that you can plug in there if you're Rocco, but if not, um, you're, you're pretty comfortable with what you have right now. Yeah, and pitching is the main thing for them. Obviously, in game two, our old buddy Sonny Gray will be going. Pablo Lopez yeah. has, has been huge for them. Uh, as a former pitcher, I want to ask you this because I do a lot of TV with Dave Stewart, and Dave Stewart, the former great A great pitcher world series mvp champion and former pitching coach uh he hates the sweeper he's like got oh, a sweeper it's just a it's a more of a flat just slider well pablo lopez his sweeper the numbers on it are unbelievable this year what is your take on this pitch the sweeper and its effectiveness and how pablo lopez has really come to master it well i think the hitter tells you right i mean if if they can't hit it then it's a good pitch um regardless of whether it's been around for a long time or it's called something different or whatever. But at the end of the day, you know, your, your success is dictated by the guy at the plate if you're on the mound. And if they don't like it, then keep throwing it. And he's figured out a way to miss bats. So from that standpoint, I, I, think, it's, I, mean, I think it's great. I, I love the, the way the game has changed right now to where – Ultimately, you're, you know, there's pitching laps and all the other stuff that goes into it, but you're trying to figure out what you do best, whatever it is, and figure out how that matches up with the other side. So, yes, I mean, it's a weird word. I I wish there was a better word than sweeper to call it, but (laughs) at the end of the day, if it works, keep throwing it. And there's more guys throwing it right now, and, and the guy at the plate tells you how good it is. I want your perspective. We'll get to the Blue Jays in a second, but I want your perspective as a former pitcher. If you were a Blue Jays pitcher, what is it like going up against a team? They are a launch angle team. They try and hit a lot of home runs, and they strike out a ton. What is that mindset for a pitcher going up against a lineup that you know they're going to whiff, they have no problem with whiffing? What's your mindset? Yeah, it's great. I mean, they, they struck out more than anybody else in the American League. Um, well, I, I mean, I think the biggest thing is if you can get it to expand early, then great. Because the more you get ahead, the more they're probably going to expand the zone. Um, 
but you know, generally the solo home run is not going to beat you. So I, I think it's trying to avoid putting guys on base. Um, but at the same time, you get ahead and let them do what they like to do, which is swing. I, I would much rather face a team that wants to swing than a team that doesn't want to swing. If they want to swing, there's places we can go and holes and everything else. But if they're going to sit and force you back into the zone, I think it's a lot harder as a pitcher. So if you had to pick one, I'll take that one. Yeah, that's a really good point. And one of the reasons why everybody wants you to take a lot of pitches, walk, especially in the postseason. But if they're going hacking, we're going to see how that's going to work. Let's let's go over to the Blue Jays side because the Blue Jays, you know, when we play the Bull Blue Jays, we always talk about how the Blue Jays and all this talent that they have. Obviously, there's former A's going in this game. Chris Bassett, our buddy Seabass, the, the, the Blue Jays were in Oakland not too long ago. We got to talk to Chris and the excitement that they have. But, you know, when you think about the Blue Jays for the past couple of years, we keep talking about this great potential. But here we are. The Orioles win the division. The Rays are there once again. And the Blue Jays haven't been that team. They really struggled in division, kind of crazy. So when you prepared for this series and you're looking at all the numbers and you're looking at the personnel, how do you view the Toronto Blue Jays? Well, I mean, I think they're in it, right? I mean, look at it. We had a postseason that the Yankees and the Red Sox are not in it. So we're talking about two teams from the East that aren't those two. And yes, it, it, they didn't win it, but ultimately they're in it. And they got a chance. Um, Talent-wise, I mean, I, I, I think when you if you're a scout and you go watch them, you look at it at the end of the day and go, yeah, but, I mean, that, they match up with anybody. And I think that's that's the way you look at the postseason, where everything starts again, and and they're, I mean, they're, you know, O and O just like everybody else. But um, I mean, I guess. You would think maybe that there was a little bit more success, but they're also playing in a really tough division, especially the way that the Orioles are right now. I mean, going into the season, I don't think anybody looked at the Orioles and said they're going to win 100 games. Um, I mean, we're, we're so used to Yankees, Red Sox at the top, and then you get the Rays, and, and it's as tough a division as there is. So ultimately, the fact that they got into it in that division, I know they weren't great within the division. Um, I think still gives them a puncher's chance when they get to this point. Yeah, when I think about the talent that they have, I think about the pitching that they have, confidence can be a great thing. Can the Blue Jays really be scary if they win this series and they gain that confidence and move on? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I because I think you, I mean, when you get to this point, I mean, says the guy that never played in the playoffs, but... Um, <laughs> Haven't been in the postseason at college. Like he, he, he just everything starts new. I mean, it doesn't really matter what happened at that point. And he, it, it's kind of like spring training. I mean, you get out of spring training, and everybody thinks they're good. Well, when you get the postseason, regardless of how you got there, everybody thinks they're really good um, until somebody else proves them wrong. So, yeah, I, I, I think they're I think they're very dangerous, and especially the situation like this. I mean, I got to go on the road, but. If you had to pick a team that you were going to play to go on the road in the AL, probably the Twins right now. Um, so from a Blue Jays standpoint, I, I don't I don't think it's a bad draw. 
Let's switch around a little bit, looking at some of the games here. Your former team, the Brewers, Brandon Woodruff, it just came out, is shoulder injury. He's going to be out for this series, could be out for the postseason. To announce something like this, your game two guy is out already. What is that like, you think, inside the Brewers clubhouse? Uh, fun. I mean, shoulder injuries historically are not like – four days. I mean, it's, it's usually longer than that. So I, I, I would be surprised if he comes back at any point. Um, but yeah, it's a huge hit. I mean, you got Woodruff in it. I think you look at Milwaukee, legitimate chance to beat anybody in five games, seven games, whatever it is. Um, you take him out of the equation and it totally changes it. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's a punch. They've got a deep bullpen, and that helps. But um, not having that guy is a, that that's that's not the way you want to go into it. You know, Craig Council has had such a great run in Milwaukee, longest tenured guy in the National League. He continues to be successful. His buddy David Stearns is now taking over the New York Mets. This is the final year of Craig Council's contract. You played Milwaukee. Uh, what's it like playing in Milwaukee? And do you think this is going to be a really tough decision for Craig Council to potentially leave, knowing on everything he's built there in Milwaukee? Yeah, I mean, it, it feels like he's really comfortable there. Um, so I think that figures into it. I think there's a family component, too. I, I, I mean, I know Craig. I don't know him well at all. Um, but it's been a really good fit. And, and so I think there's two things. One, like family situation, is that what you want? I mean, I would assume that he's got that job, at least for now, as long as he wants it. And then secondly, do you think he got a better chance to win it somewhere else? Um, you know, if he were in the open market, I don't know that anybody is more coveted than counsel. So it's not a bad time to take advantage of that, especially with David Stern's going to, to New York. Um, but I do know that he's he's been great for that city and great for that organization. It's It's been a really good fit so far. Let, let, let's get to – we've had you on to talk about, obviously, the draft and, and all the work you, you, you do covering not only amateur baseball, but you know what's going on in the minor leagues. And we're getting some numbers this year overall from minor league baseball. Are you worried – about the lack of innings that are happening for young pitchers at the minor league level? Like, it's starting to become historically low, and I just wonder about how we prepare these guys for their careers and how are they going to get to the Major League Baseball and now start trying to give you a lot more innings. Do you like the way that minor league, that franchises are going with their minor leagues and such a lack of innings for young guys? I mean, from a competitive standpoint, no. I don't because if you start a game, you want to finish it. I mean, that, that, that's just kind of the way that I was brought up. Um, and I know that doesn't happen very often anymore, but even if you don't finish it, you want to be out there as long as you possibly can. There's math involved in this. And I would assume the math says that there's a reason why they're doing all this. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just, I feel like we've gotten to a point to where, acceptable from a starting standpoint is so different than it used to be. I mean, acceptable before was you go six or seven and 
you get a chance to win the game and, and you're out of the ball game. Now it's like, if you go five, well, we got four guys coming in, throwing a hundred behind you and we're going to be okay. Um, now math may tell you that's the right way to do it. And it might be, but ultimately from a competitive standpoint, I just, I think you need to breed guys to where they want to be in there as long as possible. Like you got to go grab them by the neck and take them out of the game. Not, I go into this thing thinking I'm going to do five or six and I'm good. And, and I don't know. I just, I think you have a longer term issue if you don't build guys with that mentality. And that's probably, probably makes me sound like I'm 47 years old, which I am. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I appreciate that component of it. I, I, I think there's value to that. I, but to me, I think of let's just get into the training of an athlete and take you back from your Stanford days to where you get drafted, we're seeing some kids pitch once every six days for only three innings. I mean, to me, it's kind of like golf. It's like I stick you on the range, I have you hit a bunch of balls, and I only allow you to go out and play like five holes. You don't play 18 holes. You don't even play nine holes. You only play five holes. So I'm just wondering, go back in your career, like how much do you need to actually play in a game against the other team, umpire, people in the stands, how many reps do you need to get better as a pro? Because I'm thinking three innings once every six days is just not enough. No, I would agree. And I think the other thing, like you learn the most, you can throw all the bullpens you want. I mean, it's like driving range. You can have all the balls you want at the end of the day, but you still gotta, you still got to putt. You still got to make sure it goes to the hole. From a pitching standpoint, for me at least, the most that I learned was understanding what a hitter was trying to do. So if I did something, how did they react? Did the feet change? Did the hands change? Whatever. Did they move up in the box, back in the box? All the things that dictated what I was going to do next. And you don't learn that stuff until you do it. You can't. And I mean, you learned some of it growing up and some in college, but at the end of the day, the further you go, the better guys are. And so the more reps that you get with the better guys, then ultimately I think you figure out a way to get through the game a lot better. So, yeah, I don't – there's a reason, I'm sure, um, and it's probably a physical reason. The other thing is, like, everybody is – from a pitching standpoint, everybody's going to get hurt. I mean, not everybody, but the vast majority are going to get hurt. They're going to. And ultimately, if if you're trying to – if we're trying to solve for the first injury, we got to get past that. Like, guys throw 100. Our bodies are not built to throw 100. They're just not. I mean, so if you throw 100, you're going to get hurt at some point. I think there's more value to learning through facing more guys as opposed to worrying about when a guy's going to get hurt because ultimately – they're going to get hurt. That's the way That's the way our bodies work. Let's end on this. And you, you, you got your finger on the pulse of college baseball. We're now dealing with this now in the next couple of years. The realignment, it's all about football. Your alma mater is now going to go into the ACC with Cal. Uh, first started out here with SC and UCLA going into the Big Ten. With football, I get it. We'll see how it works long term. They're definitely going to be able to make it happen in the short term. But from a college baseball standpoint, when you see all of this realignment, 
How do you think it's going to work for the sport? I think it sucks. I mean, I, 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 Stanford and Cal are going into the Atlantic Coast Conference. The Atlantic Coast. It's crazy. Like you can't get further away from the Atlantic Coast <laughs> than they are. And I, I, I understand the way this all works and why you got to do it, but um, I don't know. I just I, I think college sports would be better if you take football and separate it and have everybody else. Like I, I, I cannot imagine, which it's going to happen next year, but. I can't imagine being at Stanford not playing SC and UCLA over here. Like that, that that just doesn't seem right. Going to Arizona State and getting booed like that that just doesn't seem right. And I think there's a from a fan standpoint, from a I don't know practicality standpoint, like being regional makes a lot of sense for a lot of sports. So if you got to do it for football, that's okay. I just hate that they're doing it for the other sports. I, I don't. I understand the financial reasons for doing it, but the, the practical reasons don't make any sense at all for all the other sports. Football plays eleven games. Fine, you got to do that. Fire away twelve, whatever it is. Um, for the other ones, I, I I love playing SC. I mean, when I was there, we played them twice a year. We played six games. It was just a six pack. So it was SC, UCLA, Arizona, Arizona State, us and Cal, and it was the greatest thing in the world. Played everybody twice, home and away. Um, I mean, I didn't have a cell phone then too, so stuff changes. I get it, but I, I, I don't know that that piece feels like it shouldn't go away. You mean you didn't have your dream matchup when you're in college to be Stanford Wake Forest? You didn't have that. Yeah, Stanford Pitt. <laughs> Yeah, no, that, that that wasn't at the top of the list. No, that oh, was, my God, the flights I mean, alone. Like, exactly. I know, it's just like transportation-wise. It would be fun to go play at Wake. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I It's getting a little bit out of hand. It's gotten a lot out of hand. But that's where we're in right now. So if you got to go play Boston College on a three-game series to stay in the ACC and make a little bit more money, then I guess that's what you do. Ah, Boston in March. It's going to be so much fun. <laughs> yep. Yep. Unbelievable. Hey, Kyle, great to have you on. We always appreciate the time. Have a great call on ESPN Radio and enjoy the playoffs. All good. Thanks for having me. Kyle Peterson, former Stanford Cardinal. Yeah, we're heading to South Florida. Craig Miss joins us once again here on A's Cast Live. It's going to be a fun series. We got a tale of the tape between the Marlins and the Phillies. A lot of people like the Phillies to actually win the World Series, but watch out. Craig, I'm telling you right now, I'm looking at the tale of the tape during the season, how they played against each other, how the Marlins, I mean, you talk about resilient, everything that they had to deal with, that whole debacle was a joke in New York, and to get through all of that and showing up to Pittsburgh at 6 a.m., that's the kind of stuff that battle hardens you for the postseason. How are you? Oh, it's great to be back with you again, Chris. Yeah, no, it's it's been some crazy ending here for the Marlins, and uh, you know, luckily they didn't have to replay you know that game today, uh, or else <laughs> I don't know what would have happened, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're in this thing. They have a three-game series. I, I think what we saw in the wild card previously, Chris, with that one-game playoff, 
Uh, I don't know that it necessarily represented what I think Major League Baseball wanted to do. So they've expanded it to three games. I think that makes a little bit more sense. But I still think in a three-game series, anything can happen. So we'll see what happens starting tomorrow night. I checked with our with our traveling secretary and said, if they have to fly back to Pitt, from Pittsburgh to New York, what do you think this would cost the Marlins, this whole debacle with the tarp and this mm-hmm. whole thing? He said, oh, easily over 120000 and I, and I was like, now a lot of people may not think that's a lot of money for a Major League Baseball team, but a screw-up from the TARP crew is going to cost your organization at least $120,000. Uh, that was an absolute mess. But when you think of the Marlins, I mean, people are going to say they got a negative run differential, but I'm telling you, I look at the tail of the tape. They out-homered the Phillies in their series against them this year. Uh, pitching's going to be really interesting. Phillies have the experience, but just talk about how you see this series. Yeah, look, I I think that, I mean, listen, now that we got the news on Milwaukee, you know, I think, you know, honestly, and I hate to say it because, you know, I love Brandon Woodruff. I think he's a great pitcher, but, you know, clearly Arizona gets a little bit of an advantage. I think now going there, that's a massive loss for the Brewers to, to lose him for the wild card. But from the Marlins perspective, I think, that they match up okay because I don't think that outside of Zach Wheeler, anybody really scares the Marlins from a pitching perspective. So I definitely could see some runs being scored in a couple of these games. And generally speaking, that's kind of the way that it's gone for the Marlins all year. They fared well against Milwaukee. They fared well against LA. They even swept the Braves in a series. It, it feels like just as soon as the back is against the wall in the eighth or ninth inning, they just find a way to come back and win. There's been so many of those one run wins and so many, comeback wins so uh, look the, the Phillies should be favored remember also Chris the Marlins had Sandy Alcantara and Yuri Perez for those series too they're not going to have them in this three-game series so I understand Philadelphia should be a favorite they should be expected to win but the Marlins also could easily win the series look out for our good buddy Jesus Lazardo. we got a former A on the mound we love it yeah he's going to start he's going to start game one they made that trade. If you remember, they sent Starling Marte to the A's. At the time, Lazardo came over. He couldn't you know, pitch out of a paper bag. And then all of a sudden, comes back the next year. Last year was so good. And this year, even better. So, uh, look, is he an ace on a Major League Baseball team? I, I probably think on a half a dozen teams in baseball, he'd be their best pitcher. So, I, I think that they could do worse <laughs> having an opening night pitcher not named Lazardo. He's left-handed. Phillies bats are left-handed, too. I think the question becomes, Chris, what happens after Lazardo? Do they have enough pitching from that point forward to to beat Philadelphia? And for that matter, to go even past that series. Well, if they, I've always said what, what should scare everybody is a team that's been playing playoff baseball well before the playoffs. So it's not like all of a sudden the Marlins are going to show up here and be like, oh, man, there's bunting up and, oh, man, when. We're all getting introduced, and this is the playoffs. I mean, they've been fighting for their life day in and day out. We've been following it. Uh, obviously, with us in the American League, we've been watching the wild card. But if you watch the National League wild card where it was, here's the Cubs, and here's the Reds, and here's the Giants, and there's the D-backs, and it was just going like this. I mean, for yeah. me, the thing that it would scare me is that the Marlins, they've been doing nothing but playoff baseball. Yeah, it's been like that for a while. Remember at the All-Star break, Chris, they were 14 games over 500. And then they hit a complete tailspin and they were one game under 500. You just don't see those sort of swings happen in a Major League Baseball season. But 
Uh, you know, they made these trades that have really helped them and without a doubt get over the top. Uh, look, you, you, all, you also have to acknowledge, I, th I think we all have to acknowledge that the Cubs face planted here at the end of the year too. Remember how significant they were up. Their odds on fan graphs to make the postseason two weeks ago were like 85%. Uh, they couldn't beat anybody down the stretch. And I think that that's really a credit to Miami just hanging in there. The, the key, Chris, is, is that if the Marlins have a lead, they seem to get it done. Their bullpen has been outstanding. And for the narrative that people say you have to have a good bullpen in the postseason, I think it's accurate. I think you have to be able to close out games when you have leads. Arise, uh, the batting champion. Something about it was dark in the stadium for a closer coming in, and he hurts his ankle. And the last highlight I thought I saw, he was hobbling down to first after walking. How, how do you think the ankle's going to be? Well, he'll play, and he'll start at second base on Tuesday, and he'll lead off. He won't steal. It'll probably be a little bit of a challenge to go from first to third, but you, you want to bat like that in the lineup, and this time of the year, you got to post up and play. So I expect him to play. Uh, look, I don't know what percent he is at. Clearly, a couple of days ago, it was no better than 50. Maybe a couple of days later, Chris, it could be 75, 80, and that's good enough to play in the playoffs right now. So I think you'll see him leading off against the Phillies tomorrow night. You know, it's funny when people talk about the Braves World Series MVP, you'd think mm -hmm. like, oh, he's probably still on the roster with the Braves, right? No. The World Series MVP is on the Marlins roster from 2021. I kind of like having a slugger who's who's won the big award, who's been in the big moment, who's had a good year. Yeah, this year's been great. Last year he was banged up and, and really didn't deliver on what the Marlins thought, but he's been – an absolute gamer this year, showing up every day, had a fantastic offensive season for them and and has been leading off some also with Arias not in the lineup. So there's no question that if you're a left-handed pitcher going up against Jorge Soler, you got to be real careful. I mean, he has just crushed left-handed pitching all season long. And, and look, the Phillies have some formidable pitchers too from the left side. So I'm curious to see how he performs. I think of all the guys on the team, He's got that playoff experience and that postseason experience, as you mentioned, as the MVP. Also, the manager of the Marlins has a ton of postseason experience yeah. with winning World Series with the Cardinals, too. So, uh, you know, those are the guys to kind of lean on. And let's also not forget Soler can opt out of his contract this year, too. So it wouldn't hurt him to bring home another MVP and get another long-term deal. And, you know, when you talk about Bell and Berger coming over, just talk about the trade deadline, bringing these guys over, bringing some more thump. Berger's got a bunch of big hits for, for the Marlins. Talk about their addition to the lineup. Yeah, it, look, it's it's obviously been huge. I, I, I think in particular, look, Josh Bell's been really good, too. He's had some very big hits. But if you remember back in the offseason, the Marlins had a major hole at third base. They didn't have anybody to play most of last year. They had a Brian Anderson who was hurt and underperforming, and then he ended up being non-tendered. He went to Milwaukee. So they signed Gene Segura to a two-year contract. And for whatever reason, Chris, he instantly was not the same player that we have seen for many, many years, including with the Phillies the year before. He just, he just was having a miserable season. He couldn't break out of it. And the Marlins at the deadline thought to themselves, listen, if we're going to really be serious about this, we have got to replace that position. They sent uh, Segura over to Cleveland, and that's you know part of taking on Josh Bell, who was making $16 million. You know, Generally speaking, you don't see a team with, with the payroll like the Marlins have take on that kind of money, but Bruce Sherman, their owner, approved the deal. And then obviously they made that last-minute deal in getting Jake Berger for the Marlins' top pitching prospect at the time in Jake Eater. So it remains to be seen what Eater would be, but the impact, as you said, that Berger has had, it seems like every time they've needed a big hit, 
The guy has come through. And surprisingly, at least to me, he's played a really capable third base as well. Seems to make most of the plays. So he'll be a Marlin for a long time, Chris. Are people fired up in South Florida about this team? You know, I think to a degree they are, but, you know, the attendance figures, I think, on the surprising side were relatively low for the last regular season week, with the exception of the weekend. So, you know, everyone has an excuse for why. I mean, you you know this without a doubt, but everybody has an excuse for why they do or don't come to a game. Maybe some people still a little bit skeptical, thinking, oh, you know, they weren't going to make it. Uh, but look, in, in the end, it's it's been a tough road for Marlins fans the last 20 years. Two postseason appearances, one in 2020 in the short season, the other in 20, uh, 2003 that won them a World Series. Other than that, it's just been a lot of losing. So building back some wins and building back some trust, I think, is part of this. But to answer your question and go back to it, I, I do think it was a little disappointing in those first three games that they had in the, in the last week of the season at home against the Mets. The, the draw was not great. They did draw well against Milwaukee, though, in the finale. Uh, two more for you. I know you got to get out of here. Obviously, the trade between the A's and the Marlins, A.J. Puck, and we wish nothing but the best for A.J.'s good dude. Uh, we got J.J. Blade back, and J.J. Blade came up, got an opportunity. He has shown flashes. You see why he was drafted so high. This kid has talent. He just hasn't put the numbers up yet. There's certain games where you just go, wow, you could see why he was picked so high. What were your impressions of J.J. Blade? Yeah, I, I think that the trade is really helpful for him. Now, again, I'm not familiar with the development staff with the A's or certainly some of the things that they're talking to him about. But I feel like when he was with the Marlins, uh, you know, they kind of had a way of doing things. And I don't know that it necessarily fit the guy that we saw that was so incredible at Vanderbilt. So I'm hoping that no more tinkering is going on and he can just be himself. I know when he first got called up with Oakland, he was fantastic for a couple of weeks there and then was out a little bit. But giving that guy full plate appearances for a full season, I definitely think if he can come close to what we saw in college, he's an everyday player in, in the big leagues. It just came down to Miami couldn't unlock or what I would like to say is re-unlock what we saw in college from him. But uh, definitely, I, I think the best thing for him was to start fresh and just we'll just have to see what happens with the A's next season. I would have to imagine, Chris, that he's a starting outfielder on Oakland next year. Yeah, he's it's spring training. I mean, now that the knee's healthy, he got a few at-bats at the very end. He's going to go to spring training with, with a great opportunity. And let's end on this. you got your finger on the pulse of a lot of different things, including the state of Florida. Obviously, when it comes to building ballparks, getting a new ballpark, no one's got more drama than we do. We admit that we're the drama. Oh, yeah. We're the drama queens at the party. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but in Tampa, are you buying what Tampa is selling right now in St. Petersburg? Well, I, I don't think there's any other choice. I, I think that, listen, you, you guys can speak to this again more than anybody else is to even bring up the R word, the relocate word with multiple franchises, I just don't think that it, that is something that Major League Baseball wants to go through. So I, I definitely think having a new modernized ballpark is going to help the Rays. I was just there this summer. The team is good. The presentation in the ballpark is good. The park itself is, is just old. You know, it, it really needs an upgrade. So I don't necessarily know that you're going to see anything massive happen there because, again, Chris, I mean, the Rays win every year and they still they draw a little bit more than the Marlins, but they still don't draw amongst teams that you would say have won as many games as them. So I don't think a significant change will come. But I do think in the end, 
Major League Baseball does not want to see you know multiple teams leaving their home city. And so uh, inevitably, I guess they just found a way to do it. Hey, great stuff as always. We appreciate it. And hopefully we can do this a few more times and the Marlins make a run. Yep, hope so, Chris. I'll be in Philadelphia tomorrow. Take care. Craig Mish does a great job. You follow him on Twitter. He breaks all kinds of stories in Major League Baseball. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The great Sarah Langs is with us here on A's Cast Live. Always a treat to have you on the program. And it's like every single day I'm watching baseball. It's whether I'm watching Fox, whether I'm watching TBS, of course, FS1, and then I'm watching MLB Network. It's like you're everywhere. You are everywhere. It's unbelievable. Like your tweets are like they they it's like they're just following you. It's like you're the content provider for Major League Baseball. How are you? I'm doing great and hey, I'm trying my best. I mean, there's been so much going on every year this time of year. It's just everything all at once and I love it. I live for it. Yeah. This is what we work for all year. And I just love to be able to showcase all the amazing things going on. You know, we were just talking off the air, and it's pretty interesting because the home field advantage now at Citizen Banks Park, I mean, my God, their record there is just unbelievable. It By winning percentage, uh, X amount of games, it's the best home field advantage we have ever seen in Major League Baseball. And last year you were there. And you saw them lose two games. It's hard to believe like they could like they're five and zero at home this year. It's like hard to believe they could even lose at home last year. I mean, it makes no sense. You know, that first game at Citizen Bank, they did win. But then after that, I mean, I was sitting there. I saw Christian Javier and Brian Abreu and Ryan Presley. No hit the Phillies in that house. And even sitting there and even watching now, I have no idea how that happened. I mean, I cannot imagine being a visiting player, walking in and playing there. And I know Joey Lovello said all the right things. And I agree with him 100%. And I know they pumped in crowd noise in Arizona and they prepared. But I have no idea how you march in there and win games in October. It just seems impossible. Yeah, it's more than just we can look at numbers, and there's plenty of numbers to look at. I mean, they don't give up runs. They hit a ton of home runs. I mean, there's a lot, but there's something special about these guys. They are just relentless. I mean, every hitting coach in the world hates when you swing at the first pitch. These guys crush the first pitch. It's uh, they're swinging at the first pitch and doing well with it more than probably any team we've ever seen in the postseason. There's, but forget the numbers, Sarah. There's just something. It's just they're relentless. There's just something about whether it's on the road or at home, especially at home. But just what are you seeing with this team? It's just special. 
I mean, they have this kind of team of destiny vibe. You know, this was the team that got to the World Series last year when nobody other than them saw it coming. They went out in the offseason. They added Trey Turner. They're so much better than they were on paper at this point last year. And I think this is a team that we very likely may see come and do what the Astros just did. And what we saw the Royals do back in 2015, getting back to the World Series the year after losing, and then come back and win it all that following year. I mean, they just seem to be on another plane, on another playing field, however you want to say. It's almost like they're playing a different game. They're interacting in a different way. And it's really a joy to watch. Of course, every game is different. You know, one thing a lot of people aren't talking about is that Philly has the best ERA in October at 1.60. Everybody talks about the home runs and everything. And Castellanos is, and no one's done this since Reggie Jackson. And, oh, my God, Bryce Harper on his birthday. And I bet, But their pitching has been unreal. I thought important, though, was that Arizona did mount a comeback. And they did score some runs. How important is this game for Arizona to get one in Philly before they head back to the desert? Oh, very vitally important. I agree. I mean, the game felt over in the first inning. So to be able to mount that comeback, to be able to see the stress on the Philly fans' faces Mm -hmm. in those final two innings, that is hugely important, especially for a young team on the whole that many of them are in this situation for the first time. Guys like Corbin Carroll really figuring out how to carry yourselves in this situation. And I thought they said and did all the right things. They did not simply lie down after that person, which is very, very important. And we know, I mean, if you're able to split those first two games, you're going home. They had a huge home field advantage too. You know, on that list of the best records by ballpark with a minimum of 20 games, Chase Field is third on that list. The Diamondbacks had Chase Field are third there. It was very loud there in the one game they played so far at home. And I think if they're able to get there in the split, it would change everything now. We'll see if it's possible again. You come back to everything about this Philly team, but I'm so glad to see that the Diamondbacks did make it closer, just for their own peace of mind. Well, it's funny we talk about home field advantage, and then we flip it over to the team that's completely opposite of that is the Houston Astros. And I know a lot of people, I mean, this is our division. This is this is our side of the street. This is where we live, right, in the AL West. They're horrible at home. So it shouldn't shock anybody that the Rangers have got in there and taken two games. If you look at the season series, Houston dominated Texas at Globe Life. Houston just doesn't play well this season for whatever reason. They don't play well at home, so they lose the first two games, and we have all these numbers. You lose the first two games, you're in dire straits. But reality is Houston is not done by any stretch of the imagination because where do they win and where do they excel this year? Hard to believe, sir, but it is on the road. It is. And, you know, no team has ever reached the World Series 
with as bad of a home record as the Astros had this year. Wow. So to your point, I was not surprised to see them drop those two games, even though it isn't the capital A Astros that we've been used to over the last few years. It wasn't surprising, and I agree. That's why they aren't necessarily done yet. We remember that series for Hotel Tube. I believe set a record what homering in like five straight innings over the course of two days, and they scored all of those runs. That series between the Astros and Rangers was at Globe Life Field, and your former, uh, you know, former A's friend Marcus Demian was saying that in the post game yesterday. He was saying we know how tough they played us at our own ballpark, so. I don't think Bruce Bochy's team will be heading home thinking, oh, too well, we have this set, we're all good. But certainly, this is not the Astros team we're used to seeing. Well, we know they have that firepower, and I really think we may see it come out on the road over these next few days. Marcus Simi is the greatest example of, you know, these guys are human beings. They have lives outside of the ballpark, even though we just view them like we think they're in their uniforms 24-7 and they play baseball with his beautiful wife having their fourth child during these playoffs. I'm just trying to think about when I had my kids and you're, you're like, having a baby, it's stressful. There's a lot going on. And even when it's a perfect birth, there's a lot going on. And uh, just to think that Marcus Simeon having his fourth child, got four kids now. I mean, this is, and you're having during the playoffs, it just shows that uh, there's a lot going on other sometimes than, than just baseball. What's going to be, what could be interesting here is the potential to play three straight days for the Rangers. Now, I predicted the Rangers. That's why what we got old Nolan Ryan out here. Uh, you, you know how much we hate the Astros. Um, so I, I don't like either of them, but, you know, you got to pick one. I'm going to go with the Texas Rangers. You have the potential for the Rangers to play three straight days. And it's basically been Montgomery, Evaldi, LeClerc, and Spores. The rest has kind of been, if Bochy's got to use them, hold on. He might have to use more of his staff here in these next three games. It could get a little more interesting, don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, they've been able to get as far as they have, in part because they've been able to sort of shield their bullpen. And to the bullpen credit, they pitched well. This does not look like the team that, blew more saves during the regular season than they actually converted. They were the first team ever to make the postseason with a sub-50% percent. But Bruce Bochy, the postseason bullpen, Westworth, and Nathan Evaldi, Jordan Montgomery, everyone else being able to go deep for them has really saved them. But to your point, I mean, Jose Leclerc yesterday, became the first pitcher in postseason history to finish each of his team's first seven games of a single postseason. If this goes into a fifth game, it seems very hard to believe that he could extend that all the way to 10 with the fact that those three games would all be in a row. So you start to get into other options. You like guys like Jordan Alvarez, Face relievers most of all times, and that's when it can get really, really dicey. 
I saw you put that out on Twitter yesterday, and I'm like, how does she find this? <laughs> I mean, all the we've been playing playoff baseball for well over 120 years, and when you mentioned LeClerc had finished every game and he's the only guy to do that, I was like, oh, my God. Uh, when you look at certain numbers, these are simple numbers, right? You out-homer the other team. You, the teams are 16-2. and two. I thought this one, and I always think it's interesting because it really plays in baseball and football. The team that scores first, the team that scores first is 18 and 7. That's a 720 winning percentage. Do you ever get amazed by just like the most, because you're always looking at some pretty, pretty high end data stats for us and percentages and everything. I mean, just sometimes the simple stuff, does it ever amaze you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, every night after the games, I update those two numbers that you said, the scoring first, the out-home rank, and then the other one I do with that is the percentage of runs to score via the home run. And to your point, I mean, even though we go in on so many specific things, there's such basic tenets that really seem to show out year in and year out in the postseason. So as you said, out ring opponents who are 16-2, last year's teams went 22-6. and six. If you go back to the start of the 2018 postseason, that winning percentage is around 860, I believe, right now. So it's a very simple thing. We talk about contact. We talk about pitching and defense and what have you. Over these last five or six years, you hit more home runs than your opponent, you win the game in the playoffs. And, of course, pitching is a big part of that. Part of how you hit more home runs than your opponent is not allowing those on the other end, right? But I love the scoring first as well because it's so simple, but we don't see many of those big comebacks with him. Minus maybe a few exceptions, of course, that Mariners game in Toronto last year is so etched in my mind when they came back from some runs. But for the most part, teams, they get ahead, they stay ahead, they maintain those leads. And you mentioned that winning percentage in the 700s in the regular season, scoring first, you win about a 665 clip. So the other really important thing about all of these trends trends to me is the fact that these are things that matter in the regular season but in the postseason they're even more important the winning percentage when you are from your opponent when you score first those all go up in the postseason because these teams are so good they're able to maintain whatever those leads are has there been, let's end on this, has there been anything that has surprised you? I mean, everything, right? Nick Castellanos <laughs> becoming the first guy in postseason history with back-to-back multi-hour games. Yeah. With the 1,766th game in postseason history. Lou Gehrig, Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, you name it. And it's Nick Cassianos so the first guy to do that. So that's probably the number one surprising and really, really exciting stat for me. Yeah, and he's got a son there, and there's always the other side yeah. of it with the family. That's great stuff. Uh, I, I know for you, 
and your battle right now. We want our fans to be a part of it with you because you've meant so much to this program. Where would you like us to donate? Because that's really the key right now. Where would you like us to reach out and, and be able to help? Where can we donate? Where, where, do you, where should we go? I mean, the number one thing I always say with this, and thank you for asking, is that people should donate somewhere that really means something to them. There's so many different aspects of the fight against ALS or organizations that help patients who are currently fighting, and then there are organizations that are doing scientific research. For me, the research is the number one thing. The same way I do with baseball, of course, and one organization I've worked with has named Project ALS, but there are so many others out there. I know there's a great organization led by the Piscotti family. I'm not remembering off the top of my head, but that may mean something extra to ACE fans. So I'd say if you are interested, do a quick search and find the organization that speaks to you best because. There's so many different organizations that are coming at this from so many different angles, and everything really, truly does help. Well, I got to tell you, I know it puts a big smile on my face. It's got to put a big smile on your face when you're just sitting there and you're watching the TBS and it's Granderson and J-Roll and Pedro Martinez. Now they got... Albert Pujols, and they go, Sarah Lang's on Twitter, or it's MLB now. Sarah Lang, and it puts a huge smile on my face. What's it like for you watching where it's like, there's my work, and I'm on national television? I mean, just like everything else, it makes no sense to me whatsoever. <laughs> you know, I grew up watching all of this. I was a little kid watching everyone else's teams in the playoffs, finally seeing my team there. In 2006, when I was growing up as a meth fan, but I was always taking all of the media I could, reading stories, everything else. So it doesn't even make sense to me whatsoever that I'm now part of this, but I am so, so grateful. Well, we love you. You mean a lot to this program. Enjoy the postseason. I know you're loving every minute, and we'll talk soon, and it will be about the World Series. Yes, it will. Thank you so much for having me. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. He's a New York Times bestseller. You like numbers. You love sports. You know, what's great about this time of the year, put up a little bit closer, what's great about this time of the year is we always say, Himbo, what the hell do I get so-and-so for Christmas? And you don't want to get crazy and you don't want to, like my nephew... My nephew is on the San Diego State golf team, and his birthday's coming up, and he wants warrior stuff. But he wants, like, polos. and a This is a very affordable, great gift for the holidays. Put right next to the stocking. Wrap it up. A good book for sports. New York Times bestseller. Paul Hembikides joins us. 
I've been saying earlier, Himbo, I know our sport. I've worked in it a long time. And all the old guard wants to talk about regular season, regular season. I went over. I went over this whole. Stop telling me about how great you are in Kansas City in July. I don't want to hear about all the dumb openers. I don't want to hear about the 66 play. 66 players used by the Angels. You want to talk about the integrity of the regular season? They use six. We use 24 different starters, the A's. Stop telling me about your regular season. Tell me about the intensity that you bring in the postseason. And I got to tell you, my friend, Citizens Bank Park is right now statistically the greatest home field advantage we have ever seen in baseball. And when you talk intensity from the players, from the fans, nobody is like your Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, I have said for as long as I have been a conscious Phillies fan now going on, I don't know, 25 years, that Philadelphia is best known as an Eagles town. And it probably always will be. But when our team is good, when the Phillies are good, Philadelphia is as good if not better than any baseball town in America. And that has been on full display for the world to see this October and last October. You can't possibly watch these games at Citizens Bank Park without experiencing an emotion. And as someone who got to attend uh, two games in the postseason last year, I can genuinely say there is nothing in sports like it. It is the greatest environment in all of sports, in any sport, right this second. It just is. In game three of the National League Division Series a year ago, the Reese Hoskins home run and bat spike, that game, right? I have been to I have been to Final Fours, college football playoffs, Super Bowls, uh, other worlds. Like, I have been to it all as a credentialed member um, of uh, the, the press uh, since I've worked at ESPN for all this time. I have not experienced anything like a playoff game in Philadelphia. That place absolutely rocks. And if you're someone that happens to have a few thousand dollars sitting around and you want to experience the greatest thing you ever can, don't go to the Eras Tour. Go to a Phillies postseason game because it for sure won't let you down. Yeah, I've already paid for that tour for my kids at Levi Stadium, so I don't have to worry about that. I, I talked <laughs> about intensity. I love the Mike Tyson. Everybody's got a game plan until you get hit in the mouth. We've had seven teams win 100 games only last two years. Only one team has moved on. There is something about we now get, I don't want to hear about the layoff. Stop whining. There's something about bringing the intensity that these teams, this final four, we already know what the Astros are. How about the Astros? You want to, you want to talk about all these different teams are asking Matt Olson or they're asking the Dodgers. How about the layoff? The Astros have now been to the ALCS seven straight years and think about everything they've dealt with. Cheating scandal, uh, COVID, a COVID season where they're playing on the road, no fan. Every single possible distraction you could throw at the Astros, doesn't matter. They still go to the ALCS. Stop whining to me about the format. Yeah, this is what we do in society now. Rather than take personal responsibility for our shortcomings, we decide to blame the system. You know, when and, and, it's, and it's a very uniquely baseball thing to do. We can't just stomach the fact that, on a given day or any given series, my team might have underperformed. We have to blame external factors to make ourselves feel better. And it's pathetic and it's lame and I'm not here for it. Can we have a good faith argument about whether or not Major League Baseball has the perfect postseason format? I guess. But that's so low on the list of, uh, of talking points coming out of this postseason that it's not even really worth entertaining. And I'll tell you why. I looked it up today because I wanted to know if this is a new phenomenon in baseball. So I checked and I looked up the percentage of time 
do this. I don't, I don't, I don't make decisions and, and uh, provide commentary based on emotion. I use data, right? So here's what yeah. I did. I looked at the percentage of time across the four major sports in which the team with the better record advanced in the postseason or won a postseason series or in the NFL's case, postseason game. In the NFL, uh, it happens 66% of the time. Two-thirds of the time, the team with the better record wins the game in the postseason. In the NBA, that number is 75%, which is probably no surprise. The better team usually wins in the NBA. In hockey, historically, that number is 64%. A little bit less so, but it's still a pretty significant advantage for the team uh, with a better record in the regular season. And in baseball, a, a sport that is playing its uh, postseason games has been playing its postseason games since 1903. The team with the better record has won 54% of the games. That's it? You know that means? That's it. And you know what that means, my friend? What it means is that if you're complaining about baseball's postseason format, what you're actually just doing is complaining about baseball. This is baseball. Baseball is random. Baseball is filled with chance. Baseball is filled with so few constants and so many, vari- uh, so many variables. This is what happens. All right. If the if the World Series winner in 1908 had a worse regular season record than the World Series loser, did we complain then that they didn't get a head start in the series? What are we doing? Why are we doing this? It doesn't make any sense in the world. This format that we have, perhaps while imperfect, supercharged the regular season for so many teams and wound up being an incredible net positive for the regular season, for the sprint. And now we're going to sit here and complain that the best teams during that time didn't advance. It's on them. It's on them for being ill-prepared. It's on them for not playing September with as much urgency as the rest of the, of the lot. I'm just not here for it. Um, I'm just not here for it, to be honest with you. I understand the talking point. And if I was a fan of the Braves today, I suppose it would be on my mind. But it would be on my mind much deeper than the fact that my team just choked away uh, its playoff chances for the second straight year in Philadelphia. Yeah, like I, 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 somebody who's a very popular analytics person, was saying like, well, if you really want to be honest, you know, they they need to play like 50 games. 50 games! You know what? Here's your Shohei Otani, Otani Juan Kenobi Star Wars trophy for the regular season. Beat it. I, I'm so tired of hearing about that. Uh, speaking of data, how do you explain to me love, trust, everything that Tori Lovello talks about has nothing to do with data? Why they went, we can look at data of why no one runs the bases better than the the D-backs. They play defense. They're relentless on you. Their bullpen has been fantastic. They're tied for the most home runs. You can look at, but they talk about love and trust. Why? What, how, do, how do we put that into data why the D-backs are doing what they're doing? So during the regular season, data tells the story. We can generally look at a, a certain set of data points and conclude to ourselves, like, these were the best teams. There's obviously some combination of, of your record and your run differential and your home run differential and all the factors that go into us doing this thing. And over the course of 162, that matters a lot. But when you're playing a tournament, when you're playing a best of three, a best of five, a best of seven series in baseball, of all sports, a lot of the other like sort of qualitative factors for lack of a better term matter a lot because we know that no matter how good or how bad you might be in baseball, you don't have any better than a 60, 40 or 40, 60 chance to win, to win or lose your series. That's baseball, which I just articulated. And so the teams historically that have thrived in October are teams that can dig deeper are teams that have the kind of culture that enables you to get up off the mat, that have the kind of culture that enables you to, uh, to reach closer to your 100th percentile outcome. So that's, that's what the, the, the Diamondbacks have done in, in a more uh, pronounced case, perhaps even the Phillies 
have done. Like that's definitely a big thing. So that that's why I think over the course of 162, data rules the day. But when you're talking about what happens now, we're putting all these teams on the same playing field. It's a level playing field. You've played on teams. I've played on teams. Clubhouse chemistry and clubhouse culture matter a lot when, when you're when it when it tightens, right? In high stakes and high leverage, in moments in which that kind of camaraderie, that kind of community, that kind of pick me up, all of a sudden matter a lot more, right? When the stakes are when the stakes are present, right? When the tension is high, that is when those kinds of things matter. And that's where managing and clubhouse culture and clubhouse leadership really manifest. And that's where the Dodgers and Braves fell short once again. I said this about the Phillies last year, and I think now you can kind of say it about a couple of these teams. We all remember in high school, it's not college because in college you get picked, right? You, you, you know, you get us, they offer you a scholarship. You take it, you go, you get put with these guys. Um, high school though, it's like that summer league team where you're starting to experience things for the first time. You're kind of drinking beers together. You're like, you're like, you're, you're like a group of guys from a bunch of different high schools, but you're on the summer league team. And all of a sudden the postseason comes, you guys have been partying, you're dating girls, you're doing all that. And you like come together as dudes and you become unbeatable. And even though you're not like the perfect puzzle pieces, you just like a bunch of guys who are out at night, you're playing ball together. You're like that son. You're that unbeatable summer league team. That's what the Phillies have reminded me of. They're like that team that's come together. They're a bunch of buddies. And it's like, it's now like, dude, we're, I've been on some of those teams where you felt like, I don't care who's in the other dugout. They got no chance to beat us. Like we're going to beat anybody. And I played on some teams where in high school, all of us at least played college. A lot of guys got drafted, but you'd put us all on this summer league team together. We dominated. I, I, I feel that's like the Phillies, but you know what? Here comes the Rangers. I don't want to play the Rangers. God knows you don't want to play the Astros. The Astros are the most battle-hardened team we've seen in Major League Baseball since the Yankees of the late 90s, and now these D-backs? I mean, if I, ta- if I said to people that the D-backs are tied with the Phillies in home runs and, and the Phillies and the D-backs are, are, are tops in stolen bases in the postseason, you'd be like, huh, Really? I mean, it's it. I mean, these four teams, I'm fired up. Uh, we have a fantastic Final Four in baseball. In the National League, I think the world is going to get the opportunity to see some of these young stars on Arizona, perhaps for the first time. This team is a delight to watch. Corbin Carroll was one of my favorite players in baseball this season. And we shouldn't overlook the fact that they're going to throw Zach Allen and Merrill Kelly at the Phillies. And that's a damn good tandem. I mean, those two guys can absolutely shove. If you actually compare their numbers this year to Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler, they come out looking a lot better. It's more than a half a run better uh, in terms of their ERA. It's two war better. And that's their path to victory. If Arizona's going to win this series, those two guys are going to have to be Schilling and Randy Johnson. That's what it's going to look like. Um, That's what it's going to have to look like because the Phillies are more talented on practically every front. But you know as well as I do, if you have two guys that can shove and can get you 18 outs, that's how you can win. And if you can go and split at Citizens Bank Park, piece it together in Phoenix and, and, and hand it back to those guys. That That's their ticket to ride because the Phillies are so much more talented and so much more experienced in the postseason. That, that's yeah. that. The thing is about the Diamondbacks, it's a little scary is like they're so young and so inexperienced that you kind of get the sense that like, they don't know how big this actually is because they're so green. You know, it's like they're a year or two early. And so they're just having fun with it. Like this team plays so carefree and loose and easy. And they've got like the, you know, the venerable manager, you know, running things. who's dropping F-bombs on TV and stuff. Like they That's have, right. Lavello. Right. like they, they don't, 
they won't know like what hit them until the season is over. So a lot of my friends are discounting because I'm obviously the, the world's biggest Phillies fan. A lot of my friends are discounting the Diamondbacks. I, I'm absolutely not because yeah. if you have two horses that can get you 18 outs a game in the playoffs, you have a way to manufacture runs. We also know that they can hit homers with the best of them as, as the Dodgers and, and, and Brewers will attest. That team's live. That team is absolutely live against the Phillies. No doubt about it. You can go through as many numbers as you want. This Ranger team and this Astros team, there's no secrets. There's no love loss. There's no secrets. We can look at all the data. We can look at the season matchup. You can look at all of that. It doesn't matter. This is going to be interesting. I mean, you got two of the most senior skippers of all time. You've got star players. You've got the, everybody's like everybody's talking about ah, aircraft carriers. They both got aircraft carriers. They got jets. They got submarines. This is <laughs> let's get it on. I I I'm really look. I don't like either of them. I I could use my old joke. The only thing I'm rooting for is injuries, but I'm not. Um, I don't like the. I hate the Astros, and I don't like the Rangers either. But they're in our division. We know them. Uh, I, this is gonna be. This is going to be a big time matchup because you got firepower, you got star power. It's everywhere. Yeah, two tanks matching up. Um, and I view this as honestly like something of a coin flip series. At the Astros are a slight favorite, uh, as well they should be. What I did today uh, in preparation for, for 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 this was I wrote down three questions. Um, the answers to which I think will determine the outcome of the series. The first question uh, that I asked is: uh, Are the Rangers going to allow Jordan Alvarez to beat him, to beat them by himself? Uh, are they going to pitch to the guy? He's he has amazing. six home runs in the sixth in the sixth inning or later over the last two years in the playoffs. He is David Ortiz. We are yeah. watching. We are watching David Ortiz. The way the ball trampolines off of his bat, he is the, the scariest out in baseball right now, and that is inclusive of Bryce Harper. He is just absolutely frightening. We know that Rangers bullpen is suspect at best. That's question number one for me. Question number two is: Can, can this Astros pitching staff, a pitching staff that is not what it was a year ago? Can it contend with the length? Can it contend with the depth of the Rangers lineup? And I think the best way to illustrate this is as follows. So what I did was I broke down the, the, the performance of the Rangers lineup. I used OPS as my stat in thirds. So I looked at the, the, the top third of the order, the middle third of the order, and the bottom third of the order. And in all three thirds, the Rangers this year ranked in the top three. In baseball. We are talking about a relentless Group of players hitting one through nine. When you can throw Evan Carter and Josh Young and Nathaniel Lowe at the bottom of your lineup, your pitchers just don't have any easy outs. The Astros pitching staff is going to have to be super, super on this year because the uh, uh, this series because the Rangers lineup is so long and so deep. And the third question, and I think it's probably the most obvious question, is will Max Scherzer be a factor? Because I don't see a clear and obvious way that the Rangers win this series if Max Scherzer does not impact it at least in some way, because the Rangers bullpen, in my judgment, is so suspect. Can you get anything out of this guy that you moved heaven and earth for? Obviously, he blew up in the playoffs last year, but in 2019 in the playoffs, he shoved. In 2021 in the playoffs, he shoved. And I think in a series that's going to likely come down to six or seven games, Max Scherzer's impact or potential impact on it is going to make a difference. So those are the three questions I have uh, as a sort of a preview. Yeah, I, I go seeing clips yesterday of his bullpen. I go no on Scherzer as he was just 60 pitches of just look like 80%. I, I say mm -hmm. no on that. 
I love the call. Evan Carter is hitting 429, four extra base hits, a 1,476 OPS. Josh Young has eight hits in his last 16 at-bats, five extra base hits, six runs scored. I love your call on that because that the top to bottom. I mean, these, these guys, Evan Carter, I think, made his debut right before we played him, so we got to see him at first, and he looks like a little skinny kid that can't hit, and all he does is rake. Uh, they are – it's incredible. I, 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 I'm I really looking forward. And what are you going to get from Verlander? Are you going to get five innings? Can you survive playing against the Rangers – with the starters going four, five, that's it, and relying the rest on the bullpen against that lineup? I don't know. If you don't get any length, good luck. Um, I, I, I'm really looking forward to it. I got to ask you, I hate to do it because th- they end up being losers, but you start looking at some of these numbers. When Let's for all the whiners here. The top three in – NL MVP candidates, Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Ronald Acuna Jr. They went three for 35 for a .086 batting average, zero RBIs in the postseason. Mookie Betts was two for 25. That's a .080 batting average. Acuna, as we just, Acuna in the series hit 143. Oh, Matt Olson. We love Matt Olson, but let's be honest. What he's done in the postseason in his career, Matt Olson had zero home runs after hitting 54. Azuna hit a buck 54. Strider wasn't as dominant. I mean, he, there's a reason why these teams are going home. Their, their top guys didn't, as I say, match the intensity. They didn't bring, as they say in football, they didn't get off the bus. A hundred percent. First of all, I am obviously looking forward to, to opening day in Atlanta when they get to, to the uh, unveil the, the banner of uh, Ronald Acuna's 4070, uh, because that's the only thing that they won this year. And uh, congratulations to him and to them for that. My God, um, what an absolute what an absolute flop they were. So uh, I want to talk about the Braves specifically a little bit here. Um, your point your point was a, a well made one. Obviously, like if you're gonna if you're gonna get nothing from your uh, from the top, you know, from the the top of your lineup from the guys that you expect to drive to drive your to drive your lineup, then you're going to have scant little chance. But I want to talk to, uh, with you a concept uh, about the Braves that I'd like to unpack at least a little bit because look, I mean the Phillies advanced the uh, NLCS at least in large part because they were able to hit home runs. But one thing that I have noticed, and and and, and this observation I think now is, is is borne out with the data, is that over the course of 162 games, if you can fill your lineup with home run hitters as the Braves did, they hit 307 home runs this year. They out homer their opponent this year by 120. They out homer their opponent last year by 95. But in the postseason, the Phillies out homer them 16 to eight. The Braves scratched across eight runs in four games. The Braves put 32 men on base and stranded 28 of them. Now, why do I think this is instructive? Because I'm, I'm not here to say that small ball is what wins because you can't watch the Phillies and say small ball is what got him here. But what I do believe in steadfastly is something that I like to call run scoring diversity. And what the Braves have is a lot of lineup redundancy. The, the, the Braves have a lot of people that are basically good at all the same things. If your plan A fails, you don't have a plan B. Like the Braves have only one path to beat you. They're the team in the NFL that can only beat you when they can play from ahead. Right. And so they can allow their offensive line to dictate the tempo and they can run the football and then they can unleash their pass rushers. But what happens if you get down 10 to nothing in the second quarter and you have to make it a drop back passing game? Right. You can't win that way. We have now seen that in the playoffs in each of the last two years. The Braves don't have plan B. 
the Red Sox tra- traded Nomar Garcia Parra for Orlando Cabrera and got Doug Mankiewicz in 2004, not because they were better players, but because the things that they were good at is what the Red Sox needed to diversify their portfolio in the playoffs. What the Braves need to do is have guys like that. I need somebody with men. They stranded runners all across yesterday with the Phillies um, bullpen spraying it all over the place because they're still swinging from their heels. If the home run, if that lane, if the left lane is closed, right, you have to go down the right lane. And in the if you can't hit a single, if you can't take a walk, if you can't drive in somebody, then you're only going to go so far. In the regular season over 162, you can score 947 runs as the Braves did by out-homering yeah. your opponent and pounding them into oblivion against the number six, seven, and eight starters on the Cincinnati Reds and the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Colorado Rockies and everyone else. In the playoffs, when you're facing the best pitching in the world and your plan A fails, you have to have people that can do other stuff. The Braves have don't have people that can do other stuff. And that's why for the second straight season, they went home. You have to build your lineup at least in part to 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 um for the tournament for what happens if i if the thing that i want to do doesn't work i'm not sure if any of that made sense but for the second no. straight year we saw it manifest for the atlanta braves oh my god that's why we can go back to the Moneyball era of the a's of 2000 2001 2002 where billy bean would end up saying well my stuff just doesn't work in the postseason well if you win one way and that one way isn't working what's plan b what's plan c that's what always has been tough. Like, if you look at other sports, there's a lot of ways the Patriots won playoff games. You don't win all those playoff games playing one way. Adam Vinatieri kicked big field goals. There was big-time catches. There was, I mean, the way they played deep. There's a lot of different ways to win, but if there's only one way to win and someone takes that away, you're screwed. All right, let's end on this because I want to give this to you right now. I mean, Philadelphia, Eagles are undefeated. You've got the you got the Phillies in the NLCS. Sixers are getting going here. Um, when you look at the 49ers, how they destroyed the Cowboys. You know, I'm a Raiders guy, so I don't have a dog in this fight. Uh, when you it's set, by the way, it's October. I mean, you don't win a Super Bowl in October. A lot of injuries, as we saw last year, Brock Purdy in the championship game get get hurt. Right now, though. When you look at your Eagles, you look at the two at the 49ers, they look like the two dominant teams in the NFL. Uh, how do you size that up? So if the 49ers and the Eagles played this week, I would favor the 49ers regardless of where the game was played. If they played in Philly, I think they'd be a point or two favorite. If they played in San Francisco, I'd say that number would be four or five. That's how much better I think San Francisco is right now. Wow. than the Eagles and they'll play a week. Uh, they'll play after the Eagles by and we'll get a, We'll get a chance to size them up then. Here's what I would say though. Um, as I just described with the Braves, you are building your team to win in the tournament. You need to be at your best at the end of the season at the best uh, at your best in January. And the Eagles, I think are more likely to be able to absorb attrition, to be able to withstand injury, to be able to win multiple ways than the 49ers are. The 49ers are loaded. If you look, if you look like players one through 10, say 49ers have the best team in the NFL. I'm not sure that's that close. Uh, They have stars littered across the field. But three months from now, when your left tackle is day to day, and when your middle linebacker gets knocked out for the season, and when your third string right guard is struggling, that's where I think the Eagles um, will very likely have the advantage because Howie Roseman, the Eagles general manager, has built an absolutely ridiculous roster over the course of the last few years um, by investing in draft picks and by hitting on the Jalen Hurts pick, right? 
The 49ers obviously have the luxury of paying their quarterback less than a million dollars. But at the same time, there's so many highly paid players across the rest of their team that over the course of a period of time, if those guys don't stay healthy, then I think the Eagles are to be favored. So that's kind of a cop-out answer. But the answer is, if these teams are both at 100% and they both play their best, I favor the 49ers, as we all know. That's not usually what happens in sports. And so I'm going to take my Eagles based upon all those other factors. Well, you said all-time in the playoffs, the team with the best record in baseball only wins 54%? 54%, and that's 120 years of data, no matter how big or how small the playoff field is. If it's 12 teams, if it's 16 teams like it was in 2020, or if it was two teams when the Boston Americans played the Pittsburgh Pirates in 19 Great series. And Nelson McGreevy shouted, Tessie, you are the only, only, only. The team with the better record only wins 11 out of 20 times. Uh, rumors on the street. You got some new book deals going. We got two more books coming. Uh, we'll make some kind of official announcement soon, but what I can say is every single time I come on this fine program, they fly off the shelf at Barnes and Nobles nationwide. I always appreciate you plugging our stuff. And the day that I get my, uh, my fingers on the new books, I will send you guys a copy of it. I'll be able to provide a sneak preview at some point in the near future. For now, you can uh, you can order Got Your Number on Amazon or wherever else you get your books. And um, we've gotten so many nice notes. And I very much appreciate you helping me push my product on your fine show. New York Times bestseller, ladies and gentlemen. Forget the ESPN thing. Who cares? I mean, you're just, <laughs> you're just talking LeBron and Cowboys, and you're still trying to figure out how to bring Tom Brady into the picture with the Raiders. Uh, it, now, let's talk. You're a New York Times bestseller. That's That, my friend, is what matters. Oh, you're a good man. Take care of yourself, bud. By the way, do you want Fanatic or Bryce Harper memes? You want me texting you during the series? What do you prefer? I want Fanatic memes because to me, like right now, like Bryce Harper is untouchable and I'm afraid any positivity in that world is going to, is going to create bad juju. Philly Fanatic is evergreen. It's omnipresent. Um, Anytime the Phillies hit a dinger, anytime the Phillies get out of a tough inning, I want the Fanatic meme. I may, I may, I may create like the bull, Greg Luzinski. I might. By the way, way, you you just made me think of this. Like how much did you like the powder blues last night? Were you thinking Tug McGraw? That's my childhood. Gary Maddox. Uh, oh. uh, Pete Rose, like that's oh, Larry that's the, Bola. Come that, that's, on, that's one of the most delicious fits in the game. It is. I it's serious. That whole era, like the Royals had them, the Blue Jays had them. Like if the, that 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 era of the powder blue unis. That's that's mm-hmm. the '80s. That's my that's my love. But when I see those, I mean, obviously, when when I when I was in Sisters Bake Park, and I'm like, if I was a Phillies fan. There's one jersey I would buy. I would buy a powder blue Michael Jackson. Mm, nothing greatest, better. greatest third baseman of all time. It's there ever was. It's not a debate. It's not a debate. But I'll tell you what, there are some in Philadelphia that are already saying that with a title this year, Bryce Harper would ascend to second on that list. And I don't think that's hyperbole. I mean, right now he is he is in the zone. Right now he is that rare prodigy that is exceeding the sort of undeliverable hype. And every time he comes to the plate, you're surprised when he does not deliver. He is absolutely locked in. Bryce Harper, Bryce Harper is going to have a plaque in Cooperstown. Yes. Mike Schmidt is the greatest third baseman to have ever played. Ever. He he led the national league, what seven or eight times in home runs. Yeah. More than any player in history. Yeah. I mean, and, and was great defensively. Great defensively on, on, on playing on cement. So, <laughs> but you're hundred percent right. Five years after he retires, 
Bryce will give a speech in Cooperstown and I'll probably be there for it. Hembo, you are the best. We'll keep promoting and uh, let's talk soon as your Phillies probably will move on. You're a good man. See ya. The great Paul Hemikides from ESPN. We'd like to thank Kyle Peterson, Craig Mish, Sarah Langs, and Himbo for all coming on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 